For months, authorities have treated the public health order with a somewhat laissez-faire attitude. While some egregious violations have been prosecuted, county leaders now plan a more intense crackdown, just as quarantine fatigue and economic stress are deepening. Here's how these tensions are playing out. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. To get a deeper understanding of what's going on, we have two reporters with us today, Brittany Myling and Morgan Cook. Both of you have been covering the COVID-19 outbreak in a number of ways. So just to get people up to speed, let's start with definitions. Uh, What exactly does the public health order say people and businesses must do? Uh, Brittany, can you explain kind of the business aspect first? Uh, Sure. So right now it really depends on what kind of business we're talking about. Uh, the ones that have come up a lot in the news have been, uh, you know, the ones that have been asked to move their operations outside. So indoor operations are not allowed at uh, gyms, you know, fitness centers and uh, restaurants, bars, that sort of thing. Um, retail, they're still allowed indoors. And if if you are, no matter where you are, you've got, of course, be wearing a mask and have certain protocols as well. So those are those are kind of like the main things that people have been talking about. Mm-hmm. And an order is one thing you need enforcement, otherwise it's more of a suggestion. Uh, Morgan, can you explain kind of the strategy when it comes to enforcement? Because it seems like these orders were put in place, but the hammer didn't actually fall until like the past couple weeks. Yeah, um, so when the uh, when the public health order went into an effect, there were a few citations here and there uh, in various jurisdictions with people being out and about when they uh, when they weren't supposed to and and things like that. Um, but then that kind of tapered off as things got more and more complicated, right? Because the public health order continues to get more nuanced as we go along in time. And so to, uh, to quote my brilliant colleague, Paul Sisson, right now it has more wrinkles than a Sharpe puppy. It's just, it's complicated. So they started out with trying to do, um, you know, education and just go to people because it's hard to understand what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what should be open, what should be closed. It's actually pretty confusing. So they were trying to go out and do education. If there was a complaint about a business, they would go to that business and say, hey, you're not following the health order. Here's how you get back in compliance, you know, and they would do those things and get back in compliance. But as time has worn on and people have gotten really tired of this and frustrated by it and the changing restrictions and all of the restrictions. And you have business owners who are just truly suffering, right? They've sort of, we've sort of seen more open defiance of the public health order. And uh, so the county has made new moves to do enforcement with cities um, so that they can kind of use each other's unique powers in the enforcement process. Yeah, it does seem like this entire pandemic has been kind of a masterclass in how government works because you have the state saying one thing, you have county saying another, and then individual cities or unincorporated areas having different rules. So it's kind of a patchwork of jurisdictions that unless you're, you know, a scholar of geography, it'd be kind of confusing exactly what is and what isn't allowed depending on where you're at. Right. And you have multiple orders too. You have things that are different at the state level, things, you know, the county has been closely following the state. So that kind of helps to 
um, keep that sort of confusion, but it definitely also has its own nuances, you know, our, our county one as opposed to the state. Um, and then you have city rules, right? So the county is saying, okay, we're going to make it so that businesses who are restricted to, you know, outdoors right now can use public parks if they don't, you know, have their own outdoor space, they can do their operations and stuff. But um, the, but then the cities control parks in their cities. So each city has different rules about what they're doing with their cost of permits and use of their parks and stuff. So it's, it's really confusing. And I think that they're trying to be sensitive to that, but at the same time, you know, they just can't have these big gatherings um, and things and they can't just have open defiance of the order because it's not fair. The other business owners, you know, who are following the rules and taking that economic hit you know, it's, it must be so frustrating for them to see, you know, in the news, these people who are openly defying it and operating their businesses and continuing to keep their businesses afloat and nothing is happening. So I think they're trying to strike that balance. Yeah, I think that fairness has been kind of one of the central issues coming. I'm a business reporter. So coming from the business conversation that's been happening over the last five months, uh, this idea of fairness has been kind of the source of contention because some people, for example, gym owners believe that if you're going to allow like a liquor store to remain open as an essential business, then why not something that prioritizes fitness and health? And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of kind of arguing over the kinds of businesses that have been categorized into what is essential and what is not. And then when they feel like something's not fair, that makes them feel like they don't need to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. And it's worth noting that we're at a really interesting point in the pandemic in which many of the signs locally for the county are pointing in the right direction. Uh, we may get off the state's watch list in a couple weeks with the case rate going fewer than a hundred per 100,000 people and the positivity rate has been in the 5% range which is what the WHO recommends before you go further into reopening. So it's kind of like we have to stay the course so if we mess up now it would be undoing all the hard work we've been. But at part of that frustration, uh, Brittany, can you explain what's been going on when it comes to gym owners that are flaunting the rules? Because you've been covering this uh, for some weeks now. Can you give a recap of that controversy? Yeah, and and just to clarify, this is a this is like a, a small collection of gym owners. You know, there's a ton of fitness centers in San Diego County, and you know, we kind of focus on these ones that are the bad actors. So just you know, keep that in mind. But the ones that have become very vocal, I would I would call them activist business owners. Uh, they've decided that um, this has affected their business and their personal finances for too long. They believe that this is an issue, like I said, of fairness, of um, the government rules kind of being rolled out in a way that maybe wasn't very thoughtful, depending on certain you know industries. And so they've decided that they're they're not going to be moving outside. Some of them can't move outside. For example, the first central urban neighborhoods that don't have maybe a parking lot or some adjacent area that they can expand to. Or maybe they're the kind of fitness center where it would require a lot of physical manpower to like lug a lot of this heavy equipment in and out every day. They can't just leave it on the street overnight. And so they've just said, hey, if we're gonna survive, we have to do our operations indoors and we're just gonna keep doing that uh, regardless of, of the rules. And what's happened is they've been doing that and getting away with it, I think, for, for quite some time. And that started to cause a rift in the communities because there were so many others that had chosen to close down following the mandate. Yeah, and that comes down to how individual police 
jurisdictions have decided to enforce this. Uh, there's been some confusion there. Can you explain that aspect of the story, Brittany? How, how like the jurisdictions of police, you mean? Yeah, because uh, originally in the story, uh, SDPD kind of had a strategy of kind of non-enforcement. And then that changed with a meeting between the county supervisors and uh, Mayor Falconer recently, I believe, right? Right. So the original conversation that I had with the SDPD through their spokesperson, and this was something that was a scheduled conversation. You know, they, they did have time to, to kind of prepare and talk about it. And, you know, they kind of kept with their conversation, you know, what they've been saying all along, which is like, this is about education first, you know, we're not necessarily into the idea of going out and citing people or citing businesses. And um, I think the spokesperson went on to say, you know, we've only given out 160 citations since the start of the pandemic. The bulk of those were in April. And most of them went to people who were like on the beaches um, or parks back when those were shut down. And so it sounded like not a lot of them had been going to businesses. And and it also, he, he had said a quote that made it sound as if they weren't going to be doing any citations moving forward because they believed that that wasn't, it wasn't the, the point to bring business owners into the criminal justice system. They thought that this lie did, lay in the area between civil matters and um, and criminal matters. And so that was my original story. And then a few hours after it published, um, I got a call back from SDPD saying that spokesman had been on vacation the whole week prior, was not aware of some current actions by the SDPD, and they were in fact working with the county to talk about a better enforcement strategy. So that's that story got updated to include that information. Mm-hmm. And the other controversy that's been going on has been focused on these large gatherings in Ocean Beach, and it is worth noting that science suggests that the more you're outside, the more wind, the less likely you are to get infected. But at the same time, we don't know exactly the limit to that. So people together in a dense space is likely much more risky than people just walking around the neighborhood. So Morgan, why don't you explain what are these gatherings and what are the tensions that we're seeing rise over the past couple of weeks? Well, um, there have been several you know, large gatherings in the past few weeks. There was one um, at Awakened Church. They did a worship service outside and they had a big sign that said, please wear masks. But in, at least in the photos that I saw, I wasn't there, but in the photos that the paper uh, took for that, you could see that it looked like almost no one was wearing a mask and they were really, you know, pretty uh, tight together. And then you have, you know, Ocean Beach where this little park by the pier, Ocean Beach Park, was is the spot of where they have a farmer's market. But in recent weeks, people have just sort of been using it as a place to kind of get together and and hang out, you know, more of a party sort of atmosphere. Um, and, you know, with live music, it's, it's noisy, you know, for the around, surrounding residents. Um, so the county, or sorry, the city had gone to the park yesterday and put up a little, it's like a plastic orange mesh fence around the park to um, to prevent that that sort of gathering. And I guess somebody really did not appreciate that and decided to cut it down. So I learned that there would be a press conference. So I, I went to it thinking it was going to be, you know, normal press conference. But no, it was wild. There were dozens of people. They were all, you know, were crowded around each other partially so they could hear each other, to be fair, right? So crowded around, uh, some people wearing masks, some people weren't, 
and that there were city officials who were trying to talk about, you know, we need to not have this type of gathering happen. And people were just shouting over them and shouting over each other. And you really, I mean, I got a real sense of the tension that is out there between the people who just are like, this is overkill, this is crazy. Like you're hurting my whole life, everything I've worked so hard to build. I miss my parents, like I miss my friends, you know? And and everyone can certainly feel that, you know? But then you have the other people who are like, look, if you wanna be free, the way to do that is to knock this virus down so that we can have our have our lives back, you know, and they feel like the people who aren't following the public health orders are endangering them and endangering their livelihoods because they won't be able to get back to work as soon. You know, their kids won't get to go back to school as soon. Um, and so, you know, you have the people who are really demanding enforcement and the people who are saying, leave us alone. And they both are very passionate. You know, all of those people are very passionate about their positions and it just it's it's becoming tense Mm -hmm. i mean at this point everyone's on edge for one reason or many reasons given how things have truly collapsed in 2020 so it makes sense that this would erupt in this location kind of given the spirit of opie because you know that's kind of what makes that neighborhood fun to visit is that that really kind of wild energy so it is kind of you know fitting that we're having that uh, controversy there. But also this kind of begs a question, in order for this to work and us to effectively fight this disease, we need to have effective leadership. And it does seem like the region has done a relatively good job of remaining apolitical and people mostly following the rules. Are you noticing kind of a tone shift in what we're hearing from leaders or like, you know, the insinuation of politics? Because as this goes on, people's willingness to listen ultimately goes away. Have you noticed any shifts, either of you? I mean, certainly it was a surprise to me to get that second call from the SDPD after my story ran, um, because they have repeatedly said, uh, we're not interested in giving citations. This is about education. You know, that's been their stance for, for a long time now. So to hear that they were taking actions the very next day, be, you know, the police chief be meeting with county officials to talk about enforcement, that's that's quite the shift. And it makes me wonder if um, this, you know, some of the stories that we've done and other news outlets have done about the defiance, there's that they might be seeing a growing, um, you know, resistance to some of the rules and realizing that this is going to have to be part of the conversation. But I do think that part of this, you know, you know, we think a lot about like culture and maybe their willingness to enforce. But I think a lot of it is actually more about manpower and, and like Con, you know, confusion over jurisdictional differences because the police department thinks, you know, well, this is a county health order. If someone is, you know, going to defy this, do we need to take care of that? Or is that the sheriff's department's responsibility? And I think it, it might be a little bit more confusion at that. This is the first time that they've had to deal with something like this, and they're not really sure what the process is. Mm-hmm. And I, I also wasn't sure what the process was, uh, so I've been, I've been trying to figure it out. Um, and what I understand now is that, take for example, San Diego, right? San Diego's strategy is the three E's. You've got, you've got education, elevation, see, cease and desist, orders to close, and then you have enforcement, which is the citations, right? So the education part is something that they've been trying to do in partnership with the county, but the local law enforcement jurisdictions have been doing it a bit by themselves. But they, the local law enforcement can't do the next step by themselves. The elevation step is the county has the power. 
as the health authority, right, to issue citations and orders to close. And so they need the county to do that part. And then the county needs them to do the next part, which is the citations if, you know, it escalates to that place. So they're trying to sort of partner together so that they can figure out how to do it. And we have seen more resources, you know, the county is devoting more resources to, you know, going to deal with these egregious sort of violations. Um, and they're, they're partnering with the cities to do that, which, you know, makes sense given their different authorities and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And at this point, when it comes to the enforcement question uh, broadly, do either of you have specific questions that you hope uh, leaders of any level of government will answer? Because as we've discussed, this uh, Sharpay puppy is very confusing. Brittany? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I've, I've, I would like a little bit more clarity and something that we, we're hearing from readers a lot on is... Um, you know, why certain things remain closed and others don't. I think that the process is just because it takes so much manpower and time, there's a lot of confusion still remaining. I mean, they're doing pretty much everything they can. They they hold a press conference like every day trying to educate. But it seems like every single press conference that I tune into, as reporters ask questions, it becomes clear that these are not things they have discussed and now they need to discuss it. So it's just like an unending stream of, of things for uh, officials and politicians to, and government, you know, the government to, to figure out. So unfortunately, I think this is just going to be our life for a while. It's just kind of struggling through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose at this point, the only hope is that we continue on this trajectory and don't mess it up at this point. Yeah, well, one thing that you mentioned is, um, you know, we're, we're getting back to those numbers where maybe we could loosen restrictions again. I really wonder if there's going to be an appetite to do that because, it was a pretty immediate change when we did that last time. And after, you know, the business community, especially this wasn't, this was not a good thing for them to open for a couple of weeks and then close. It was very expensive to do that. And then to have the rules change again. So I'm wondering, even if we drop below those levels, things might stay the same for, for some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does seem like that's what we're kind of hearing from uh, members of county government as well, is that even if we do get below that threshold, it will likely kind of stay as things are because all that threshold does for the state is allow schools to eventually reopen, which even if we were to magically get below it, it would still take a more or less a month until we get to that point. Right. And, and, you know, I, I think um, one of the things that interests me is you know, what we can see, where the cases are coming from, and as we make the changes, what they what that shows us, what we learn from them, right? So we had indoor operations, we had, you know, indoor restaurants and stuff, and then our case counts went up, and then we stopped that, and the case counts start coming back down, right? So, so maybe we learn from that, right? But I just, I feel like the county um, could maybe be more specific about where outbreaks are coming from, um, I think that information would be helpful. And I know that they don't want to because they're, you know, it's, they're afraid of a chilling effect where people won't work with the contact tracers, you know, because they don't want to tell on their friend's house party or their favorite restaurant, you know. And so if they gave the names of the businesses where the outbreaks happened or enough specificity to identify them, then, you know, they might put in jeopardy their entire tracing efforts. So, you know, I really think that we're trying to find this balance. Um, but, you know, you know me, journalist, I err on the side of transparency. I want the transparency. So. 
<laughs> but luckily I'm not the one making the decisions there. So we'll see how it goes. I think we could at least get more information on the context, you know, like if an out, if an outbreak occurred uh, at an indoor facility or among the employees versus the patrons, right. like just get a little bit idea, better idea if there's a consistency in the types of places where we see outbreaks, then we could learn from that, as Morgan said. Mm -hmm. And finally, if uh, I'm a reader or a listener, subscriber who has a question, what's the best way of getting a hold of you? Uh, Morgan, when you go first? Email. Please email me at morgan.cook at sduniontribune.com. And Brittany? Uh, Brittany.myling at sduniontribune.com. And I'm also always on Twitter, so you can find me at Brittany Myling. All right. Morgan Cook, Brittany Myling, thank you both so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. I wanted to let you know of an upcoming seminar the San Diego Union Tribune is hosting alongside the National Conflict Resolution Center. It's part of the group's A Path Forward series, and this seminar features three important voices we've been listening to since the death of George Floyd. They are Ibram X. Kendi, author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Robin DeAngelo, author of White Fragility, and Wesley Lowry, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and author of They Can't Kill Us All, The Story of the Struggle of Black Lives. This free online discussion will take place on Thursday, August 20th. To register, check out our show notes. Also, Warwick's in La Jolla has a discount code that you can use to purchase their books, and that 10% will go to NCRC. Until next time. <laughs>